What's up, Bankers? What's up, Bankers? Wow, he's oh. so excited. He's so excited he jumped me. I usually I'm, go first. I'm but uh, up, you, you, We have a gentleman's agreement. We have a gentleman's agreement, but you, you fucking, you fucked up the gentleman's agreement. Usually Matt starts with the what, hello, Bankers, and I say what's up, Bankers, but come on, dude. I'm pumped up. We have... A legend on the on the pod, Matt. We're done. We are American boys, right? Yeah, we're American yeah. boys, and we grew up watching American sports. And then we got into this thing called Formula One, and we're like, "Where's the Americans?" And you know, yeah. Logan Sargent's in there right now. And you know what? He's having a little bit of a tough time. But then we, you know, we done our little bit of research, and we heard about this guy named Scott Speed. And I said, "That can't be his real fucking name." And I said, "No, that is his real name." And the more I, the more I looked, the more I liked. And now we have the honor of having him on the pod, Scott Speed. Welcome to the Red Flags Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, this guy, everyone treats Logan Sargent like he's the first person that's ever been in. Well, he's the first American driver that's been in F1 since America's given a shit, I feel like. Would you, would right. you agree? Uh, well, I could definitely say there's a bit, there's a big change, you know, pre Netflix and post Netflix. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, yes, yes. We we're the post. We're we're living in a PN society, a post Netflix okay. society. <laughs> you were kind of in the dark ages. You were the you were in America. Like I'm saying, in the dark ages for America. Like F1 right. was always cool. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh, million percent. Yeah, F one. You were you were the weird kid. It seems like that was like uh, everybody yeah, grow. Everybody in America that raced, all the kids that were into race car driving, wanted to probably go to NASCAR or IndyCar. And you were this. Oh. You were this hipster that was like, <laughs> was smoking c- cigarette with a cappuccino, being like you know, Formula One. Formula One <laughs> is right? the way. Is that were, were people looking at you weird? I uh, I don't know. I, I think that you know in America, you know, obviously NASCAR is the biggest motor racing here in America. So there is a large group of, of kids that are in motor racing that grow up, you know, with that path. But the, for the kids that grow up in karting, Formula One is, I think, would, for most would be the top because it's the pinnacle of motorsports. But it's one of those things where it's so far out of reach that it almost sounds a little silly to say, I want to go to Formula One. If you're an American, you know, the path to get there had obviously been really difficult. You know, in that way, I guess maybe a little bit of the goofy kid that wanted to go that direction. Um, but but I think really for anybody that grew up in carts and, and road racing, it's not it's not that people, I think, didn't aim that direction. It's just that the path to get there was was so impossible. Yeah, I mean, it seems. Uh, I mean, it's impossible. Seems to this day. I mean, it's it's it, it, that's what's kind of fascinating about the sport is is that it just seems like it's completely impossible to break into, which makes your story so so interesting. Because I know that I've I've we've looked you know read a little bit about you. I know that your dad was super into Formula One, which is kind of how that you know. I'm sitting here today because of that. Look, I'm a big believer that you know we're a we're a product of the environment we grew up in as kids, you know and. And that environment for me was from the age that I can literally remember was watching my dad race his go-kart and be a race car driver. And, and he was successful at it. He was a multi-time national champion. And so naturally as a kid, I think, you know, I think subconsciously I wanted to be like my dad. And, you know, for my dad, the pinnacle of motor racing was Formula One and his favorite racing driver was Michael Schumacher. So I, th- I didn't know at the time, but I think that that definitely had a weight on me as far as driving me to say, OK, well, if I, I, I really like racing, too. I don't want to be like my dad. So that's that's where I want to go. And then so you see so you, so you win all these 
karting championships, right? And you started late. Why did you start so late? I, you said you started at 10, which is like criminally late. Racing's expensive. Mm. Yeah, racing's expensive. At the end of the day, I only started because my dad had a friend whose who's son was like a year older than me. And he he had a go-kart at the track and said, hey, do you, do you think Scott would want to try this thing? Like, we couldn't afford to buy myself a go-kart. And, and so uh, I, I got to try this kart. And I only started racing because I did so good my first time in that kart that my dad's buddy was like, hey, he needs to give him this. And he gave us the go-kart. And we used that go-kart and we practiced and practiced and practiced. And then eventually, um, it was almost like a year later, actually, I ended up winning a national championship. Um, and it was it was one of those like really super um, you know right place right time mm-hmm. a lot of things worked out for me to win this one race this is 1995 IKF Grand Nationals and um, after winning that race then we had sort of the resources to really put the effort in and, and go because we had manufacturers giving us carts and engine builders giving us engines and and that really allowed us to kind of grow and to to really. Um, you know, do what was necessary to become successful in karting. Mm-hmm. So you just t- you took to it like a fish to water. You were just like the f- first time you got in, you were like, "This is the apex." Here's how you hit the corner, like on the, on the bridge. You, you just took to it. And and you know the, sh- the and really you know looking back at it, you know now, I just thought I was naturally talented, and I, I really <laughs> hate that thought now because it had nothing to do with it. The, the fact is, is from the age of three, I was watching racing. I was watching my dad and I had and I was playing the video games. They weren't great back then. It wasn't like iRacing you have now, but right. I was playing mm-hmm. the Monaco GP on Sega. You know, I was doing <laughs> all of those things and all those invisible reps that I didn't even realize I was doing. So when I finally got in the car, I I did know what an apex was. I did know all these things from like right. basically this lifetime of this subconscious learning that I was doing as a kid by watching my dad race. Mm, but I think so. And I've heard you talk a little bit about this, you know, as as you've gotten older and wiser, and you look back at your years. But you, at the time, you were like, okay, uh, as Kenny Powers would say, I got to remember, I am the best. Right? <laughs> there is a lot. There is a lot. Look, I, I based a lot of my identity on that. Yeah, for sure. That you know, I was just a really naturally talented racer, and you know, I, I basically spent a, a large majority of my career just trying to validate that and to try mm. to say, okay, is there like how good am I? Um, and I I relished at the at the idea of someone else getting into my exact go kart and and seeing what they could do, or sharing a car, or or really testing you know what what my ability was to drive. Um, mm. And yeah, like I said, that was that was a huge part of my identity as a kid growing up. So your whole attitude was at like let's say fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. You're like, this is the finished article. Like this is as big big as my dick gets. Like this is the best that I'm ever going to be. And I want to see how far I can take this. And and there's no improvement. There's no growth. That's it. That that was me. That was me. Hundred percent. Mm. I. It sounds silly. And I, I mentioned this on the on the other podcast I've done. I. I had zero idea that I could actually get better. And um, and some of that was being, you know, some of that is ego for sure. Um, but really at the core of it is I had a fixed mindset. I, I thought that, like I said, from a young age, I thought I could just do this. And I was mm. naturally talented and I had this special gift. I had no idea all the things that I actually had learned. 
Um, and, I, and because of that, because I started out at such a high level, relatively speaking, the things that I learned, I, you know, I think I picked them up, but I, I never got them from somewhere else. Um, so I kind of thought that no one could tell me anything that I didn't already know mm. um, or that I couldn't figure out on my own. And so that really stopped me um, from um, using that as a fuel source to, as a, as a motivating drive to, to getting, to just getting better. And you learned so many things through osmosis. It sounds like that you didn't even realize you learned them. Well, that's, that's being a kid, right? That's the neuroplasticity of being a child. It's an amazing thing. I, I'm, I'm pissed because, you know, my, my daughters are 11 and nine and, and we're all learning Spanish right now. And Mm -hmm. the way their brains work, it's like cheating, uh, they just pick everything right. up so easily, and as you get older, it's a lot harder to to create that. Um, so yeah, that's just I think product of being a child. Wow. So the Scott Speed story is really kind of like the Dirk Diggler story. You just had this natural gift, and you just and you just kind of wrote, <laughs> and you took it really far, and it was this rise and fall, and. Um, and but but and and now here you are you're but you're older and wiser and and you and you have and you have this this lesson to teach these kids feels like uh yeah and i think as well like i think i have a a clear picture of my why and, and what i love um and you know i think looking back at it as a kid as as a kid it, it was already there i just didn't realize it mm-hmm. um i'll give you an example um when i was younger uh, maybe I was racing for um, three or four years. I'm one of the best carters in the country, racing as much as we can. But there was um, the the cart manufacturer that we had was kind of growing, and I got one of my very best friends to be become my teammate on this team. His name was Landon Yee, and we I was number forty one. He was number forty. You know our carts. We matched mm. all the stickers, perfect. You know, and I the um, the ability to help him. And, and make him better brought me more joy than when I would win a race. And that's not mm-hmm. silly to say. Um, and I remember there's this one example where um, there was this really big race in Iowa. We're from California and we couldn't afford to go to this race. Um, but Landon was going to go. And I was like, dude, I want to go too. And I basically went to help him. Right. Mm-hmm. And that trip as a kid, now I was probably 13 years old. Um, was maybe like one of the more happy um, racing weekends that I've had because he ended up winning in the rain um, that weekend. And I'm not sure at that time if he had ever actually won a big race like that. Now, granted, we were kids and we ended up getting DQ'd because I taped up some parts on the seat struts that were illegal. <laughs> they called it like a body modification. I was trying to keep the rain off of the brake, you know, uh-huh. so I take this thing up. He got DQ'd, and his dad was pissed. But <laughs> we like he. Um, it's amazing. I, I still remember all these details because it, it was so impactful for me, and I didn't realize mm. at the time um, that that's really what made me happy. Um, mm. and, and it took a, a, you know, a lifetime and a long journey through racing and, and honestly a really fortunate one because I've had the opportunity to drive so many different cars at such a high level. I've got to, I effectively have a PhD in driving mm. and, you know, because of that, I can now take that and fuel what I'd say is a real passion of mine and that is helping others, um, 
you know, advance and progress for, you know, and, and explore the things that they're passionate about. And I can use that now that education, um, in that, in that pursuit. Well, okay. So you're old, you're older and wiser now, but we yeah. want to get to when you were young and dumb and, and, and had some crazy stories because, okay. So from what I, for, so there was a, I heard you say that you were like ready to just go to college and kind of maybe like hang up your racing boots. Yeah. hundred percent. You were just ready to be like, yeah, I won some karting stuff, but like, this is crazy. And then Red Bull did this. Yeah. This short, it was, it was kind of like, it was a one shot thing with that, that Red Bull did where they were, they, they went searching for American talent to be a part of this junior program and you were of you know the people that was recruited for that and then wound up being at the top of that list so what was that like i mean (laughs) were you like okay guys like i'm ready to go like drink beers in college and then like you get a phone call and that's like a phone call that completely changed your life it's 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 funny like because i I, i've never drank still to this day The, the party scene was never me but i needed to make a career um and I didn't have the tools to go put the pieces together necessary to be a professional racing driver. I had Mm. no real ability to talk to strangers. I had no ability to sell myself at all. And, and, and maybe even worse, I had no idea that I could actually become those things. I, I was certain that I was just the way I was and, and I was super hard headed. Um, Mm. and so I, I didn't want it bad enough to, to, to push into those areas that were uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me to go to a racetrack and try to talk to team owners and try to sell myself for a seat. Mm. Um, And so I just never did. And so when, when the carding stuff was done and when, when, when opportunities weren't coming in, I'd never picked up the phone call once to call anybody ever Mm. about driving a race car or anything. I got a phone call from Danny Sullivan that said, Hey, we're doing this Red Bull American driver search. Do you want to do it? And I answered Right, right. That's it, you know. Uh, and and so I, so I got that opportunity. But if it wasn't for that, I was I was going to college. Well, it's interesting you you bring that. It's like what's interesting. I'm seeing a parallel in my in my life um, with which is that Matt and I both uh, Matt Matt's a screenwriter. I'm an actor. That's been our main thing, and then we started this podcast as like a side thing. That's now becoming more and more part of like this is kind of becoming the mainstay. How, cool. How long have you guys been friends? We've known each other since we were kids. So we were like we grew up together, and then the plan yeah. was always like we're gonna make movies one day. But then Matt's in L.A., I'm in New York, and you know we've we've had relative success in our careers. Matt sold some scripts and made a movie, and I've been on a bunch of TV shows and all that kind of stuff. But I found that when I was and I still feel like this to an extent, though I've learned from this podcast. But like when I'm, with, if I was ever on a TV show or you know meeting someone or whatever, and I had to advocate for myself, yeah, I would always like, you know, I'd always feel awkward and cringed out and feel like I don't know how to do that. And then now that we have this thing that's like our thing that we've made together, and it's this thing outside of myself, like it's it's still me on the microphone, but it's this other thing. I'm like. You know, I'm just like with my tits out in Times Square, like, please listen to my podcast. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. I, and all of a sudden, this thing is unlocked. When I was younger, I'd be like, well, who knows? But I think in a, in a similar way, I'm trying to, I'm finding the connections, but like, I felt like acting always came very easily to me. And then all of a sudden, people like gave me lots of opportunities. And I was, you know, I'm a boy doing theater and I'm, you know, 
can sing so i'm the lead in every show and then i graduate college and it's time for me to like be a professional and get an agent and advocate for myself and kind of do all that work play and I was the kind game of like, play the game play yeah. the game and i was like yeah. i was like why am i even doing this i did my, my why was kind of gone as well yeah that's it's the same thing it's like for me it was always like talent like i'm talented i work hard but then there's this whole political aspect, and then, but the, okay, so you you get into this this American was did it feel like the Hunger Games? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it was so the thing about it is they got to cherry pick sixteen guys mm. with no restraints. It didn't matter how much money they had. It didn't nothing mattered. So they they picked sixteen of the best. So for, as far as American motorsports at that time, from the ages of, I don't know, tw- I think Paul Edwards was in his 20s, um, to just call it 23 to 15, they got all the best guys. Now, hmm. how do you create an environment there to then rank all those people? Yeah. That was something that we all laughed at. Because right, you, right. anybody who's ever been to a rental uh, or an indoor karting track knows there's always like a good cart yeah. or, yeah. you know, so that's kind of how it was. You know, they flew us all to, uh, to Paul Ricard, France, and we got and there was five carts. We'll call them carts. There, there yeah. were cars. And, uh, I, I was fortunate that the very, the first two that I got into were good ones. And I was able to go sort of talk top of the board. I was the fastest guy there. And when I had, you know, I think we probably got, if I remember remember right, we got three opportunities. The third one I got into, I'm going down the back straightaway and I'm reading the tack. And I'm like, ooh, this thing's like two, 300 RPM down. I didn't even do a completed lap. I came right into the pits. Danny Sullivan was waiting there. He's like, hey, everything okay? This is like my final shot with the thing. I'm like, hey, mm. Danny, like this thing's like two or 300 RPM down. And he literally says verbatim, it's okay, Scott, we've seen enough out of you. And he looks over yeah. to Brian Sellers, who's standing there, and he's like, Brian, you can get in. Oh, that's <laughs> and, devastating. And, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Brian heard that conversation, and it's just like you watched the life go out of him. Oh, my God. That being wow. said, yeah. that being said, and all the, carts, all the cars that I ran, multiple more guys were in those things, and like, look, there's a lot of really good racing drivers, and I don't think you can measure necessarily in that way to, to you know someone's um, ability. But like I, I was one of the fastest guys. So for myself, right? If we we take back, look, my, my goal was I always wanted to just measure myself. I'm happy as hell. Not even the, if I was the best. I thought I'm, I'm definitely one of. There's a couple of guys that were all really close, but for me that was good enough. Like I answered to myself. Hey, I'm one of the best guys in the country. So when they were listing out who was going to be selected, I honestly didn't even care. I was like, I, I I know for me, I'm one of the best American racing drivers in the country. And that, that was like way beyond my expectations as a kid, you know, that I would actually get that opportunity to prove that to myself. So um, everything after that was gravy. Interesting. So you almost, it's interesting that you... You you had a it felt like your why was almost good enough to take you very far because you know you're just trying to prove everything to yourself but you, you, you it seemed like you were content to just be there or thereabouts you know yeah, and that was yeah, good it's, enough it's a gift and a curse it's a gift right. and a curse I I can't imagine a life that I'm not happy I will always right. find a way to be happy and grateful for what I have and. Um, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it's a gift and a curse. So you go to so you, your first junior series, you struggle. You have ulcerative colitis, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Big issue. So, so while, 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 while many people ask stupid questions, like do drivers go in their racing suits? Like you're one of the few drivers that actually might've, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I wore diapers. I'd wear diapers in Europe. Yeah. It's crazy. Little fun fact. Yeah. The the year that everything was uh, super super bad for me, probably like the worst with my colitis, was the year that I won two championships over there, which is something I'm not sure another American has yet to do. And and that was beating a really competitive group. That was beating the the Simon Paginots, the Roman Grosjeans, the Pascal um, Maldonados. There's three guys, four yeah. guys that have that eventually made it to Formula One. Um, I had a really successful year over there, and I was wearing diapers. I was probably using the bathroom fifty times a day. Oh my uh, you know, god! So the, the, the problem was in the car. In the car. Funny enough, never in the car. Okay. Super weird. <laughs> never. But it was always like you know before or after. And, and the thing about Europe this is another thing that uh, that it would be is probably maybe surprising to people. Like to go use the restroom in the gas station, you have to have money. <laughs> you have to have like 50 pence to put in the in the change to go use the bathroom like it was it sucked like, it was yeah. a problem and those yeah. rebel contracts were not great so you were spending half of your salary on toilets it sounds like <laughs> yeah pretty much um and it's just not it, you know europe's not quite as access accessible it's right. life's not quite as easy you know it's god things are so easy over here in america things are it's it's built so much newer right everything's convenient whether right. that's bathrooms or parking or stores air. being open on Sunday. Yeah, air, <laughs> right. air conditioning. Life is really easier. You know, air conditioning, yeah there's, yes. yeah, there's no air conditioning over there. I mean, well, water's like a precious fuck. I'm in England right now, actually. <laughs> water's like a precious fucking resource. You have to ask for it. In America, they just give it to you. I, okay, so you, well, I got to ask. You're in GP2. What, mm -hmm. what, any Nico Rosberg stories? Um, no, not, I mean, not really, other than he's really good, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, he, um, Nico's great, him, um, you know, uh, you know, between him and Lewis, you know, those I think are like the best guys from my generation, easily, mm -hmm. it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see that, um, and I think Nico would have been able to as well, but it, it's cool to see Lewis still doing so well because this next generation of kids is so incredible. Um, mm. You know, the Lando Norris's, the Max Verstappen's, the Charles Leclerc's, like the, the level of what they're doing is incredible. And, and a lot of that's based on the environment they had as kids. You know, they grew up with better information, better simulation, more experience, um, and um, it's really fun to see those kids do things in cars that, you know, that um, is is super elite. Yeah, yeah. We were saying that when we watched when we watched uh, Drive to because we're drive. I mean, we're total Drive to Survive converters. Um, but we we were talking about like yeah, they've been driving Monza on their PlayStation since they were like four years old. So then when they're actually yeah. there, they're like, oh yeah, I know. You know, it's like it's uh, it's that's that exactly what you were talking about earlier. But okay, I, I I'm curious because you know you were talking about that you always found a way to be happy and that you didn't necessarily have that like just dire grit. I have to be the best, otherwise I'll have no like you know sense of self kind of thing. But then you, I, from what we've heard, going over to Europe from america that there's a there's a whole different culture that it's much more competitive that because everyone's going for formula one and that there's a little bit more of like a cutthroat vibe there did you find that in your time over there 
Um, I mean, it's just more competitive for yeah. that style of racing. It would be like someone wanting to play American football and trying to practice in Europe. Right. I mean, really. Or, or some, I mean, um, it's maybe the most similar to, to soccer in the sense that, you know, it's not that there's not talent over here. It's just that that talent doesn't have the opportunity to compete against the, you know, the, the highest level. Right. Um, and so naturally it's more difficult to, to, to feed that. Like, like anything to, to get better, you need to, you need to raise the challenge and you can just, that, that challenge level in Europe, just higher. Everybody in the world that is going for formula one ends up there and competing against each other. And that just, you know, you know, gives that environment to where you're able to, to push, push the limits. So do you think the drivers there are better or just for that discipline of racing? And like the, uh, I, th- I think for that discipline of racing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the thing, that, um, the, the, the interesting thing is if you take it from like the, the, the base level now, like in American karting, uh, that's actually becoming quite competitive to the point where there's now kids, you know, you get kids that are 11, 10, 11 that can now go over in Europe and go-karts and compete. You know, that wasn't mm-hmm. the case when I was a mm-hmm. kid. And I know that because I know for sure I was one of the best go-karters in the country. For sure I know that. And I went over there and my teammate in Toro Rosso was a world karting champion. And the le- the delta in a go-kart was massive. <laughs> like he did things in a go-kart. Like we, we did all the time. We'd always, we're, we're, we're really great friends. Um, and we'd go karting. Yeah, Liuzzi. We'd go karting and what he could do with a go-kart um, was it was it was just incredible. It was really cool to see. Didn't he beat Schumacher in like his home track <laughs> yeah. or something like that? Like he was a god in, on the in a go kart. I didn't go kart. Yeah. yeah, that's not really a yeah. fair fight. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, all those kids when they when they yeah. start over there, even at the karting level, for my generation, it was it's so it was already high. You already you already have a head start. So wait, what kind of things does he do in a in a kart? Because I kind of fashion myself as a as a preternaturally gifted Carter. <laughs> Carter. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> I kind of, I've gotten into this late, obviously. I'm a big, uh-huh. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big. I got to drop some LBs. But, you know, like when I get onto, the, uh, you know, you go onto these things and I'm always like in the, I'm always first or second on whatever list against, you know, it, and now these are against plebes, obviously. But I've gotten into this late in life and I'm like, I know that people do cart as adults and there are like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're talking about your dad was a, you know, he won championships as an adult. So what, what, you know, any secrets? What's Brian's What's, path? What, <laughs> yeah, what do I need to No, just, you know, what what could he do on a cart that you know, next time I go to the RPM Speedway in Jersey City, I'm going to all of a sudden they're going to I'm going to oh. break the break the timing. <laughs> I, I don't know if you I don't know if that's going to help you. Uh, <laughs> that's like saying, "Oh, yeah, so what Michael Jordan does is he dunks from the free throw line." Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Just specifically what what he was really great at was using his yeah. body to manipulate the cart. Mm. Um, where I was, you know, using your body weight and pressure, pushing on the cart in certain ways to make right. it do things. That that was the the big delta. That's like next oh, level stuff. That's not just like it's lines and breaking in the right places. Yeah. It's just no. like yeah. the yeah. last right, right. level, and specific specific to carts, moving. Yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like shifting yeah. your weight down, yeah. all that kind of mm-hmm. all that kind of jazz. Okay, putting okay. putting where you're putting pressure. Uh, we gotta ask. So obviously. Y- Red Bull, the junior program, is in the news a lot for being (laughs) a bit of a shit show. And it seems like it was a 
kind of a shit show when you were, especially the American wing of it. Now, what what do you, what what's, what's what's your estimation of 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 the of the junior program right now? Because it's like they have all they have two teams. They they have they have they have, they have like a, a pipeline of guys, and then they bring in you know they they bring in Checo. You know they're dumping guys. Then they're bringing they're bringing Daniel Ricardo back and putting a thirty four year old in the junior program. I mean, what do you think's <laughs> going on over there? What's your assessment? I, I don't I don't know. I don't have any knowledge, honestly, what's going on now. And and the thing about being over there in that world is I I have real potent memories of being there and trying and then reading what the news or what anyone thought was going on and it being so wildly off base and mm. inaccurate that not being over there now, I dude, I can't comment. I have no idea. Okay. I do know this. I, I know that even if that system's not perfect, what they are doing is they're, they're creating an environment for those kids to put work in. Um, and the other thing is they're giving opportunity and it might not be 100% the opportunities that I came in with, like I came in in a very small window of opportunity for me where I didn't have to bring any money to do this mm, or right. sponsorship or relationships to be on the junior team. And that wasn't a very big window. <laughs> and I yeah. snuck in there. And because of that timing and because of all the opportunities Red Bull gave me, um, even if they weren't perfect, I, um, you know, I got to become a professional racing driver. Yeah. Um, so, man... I hate um, j- just because I know how much they've influenced my life and the yeah. opportunities they've gave me. I hate when people want to point out anything negative with what they're doing over there because they're doing something. And um, even if it's not perfect, the intentions are good and they're they're achieving that they're giving kids opportunities to to pursue these dreams yeah i mean even after even after your time was over, they supported your drives in in NASCAR and it, they 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 gave you a lifeline even after that. I feel like now now uh, we got to we got to know what was what was Helmet Marco. What was what was we got to any helmet any helmet. I, I yeah Marco. Um, <laughs> he the thing about Helmet and I loved him. I, and honestly, I think if it if it wasn't for Helmet Marco, I wouldn't be here because I wasn't the polished kid that was kissing everybody's butt at the runoff or could speak well. Or could bring any sponsors. Marco didn't care about anything other than going fast, and those aligned with me. That was great. That's all I care about too. Like I want to be the you know the best racing driver, and that's all I cared about. That's all I put my focus on. I didn't care about anything else. And that in in some ways, like he um, that was okay for him. Um, and, and if I remember right, his his thought was, I can teach someone how to do all these things. I can't necessarily teach someone how to drive fast. Um, and so um, he, the thing about Marco is he, um, even if he's maybe a little stubborn, he is so, he has so much information and he works so hard at it. Um, when you come at him, you better be educated. You better know what you're talking about because he has a lot. And every time I'd go visit him in Graz for some kind of performance review or something, he'd pull out his huge binder and he'd have every practice result that I've done that year, every sector time. And he would just know. Um, and I think, you know, when you come with that much passion that he has um, and that much knowledge, um, if you're going to come at him, you better come correct. <laughs> 
So he, you had nothing but respect for him, just the passion that yeah, he had, and, yeah, and he was definitely. really. And even if so, when he like so, I, I'm I'm confused. You said you didn't think you could be better when he's coming at you with telemetry and sector times and all that stuff. You're like, well, I'm the finished product at that point. Oh yeah, no. So for me, yeah, that's e- that was easy for me. That it's the car, and oh. there's there many times in my career. So many times in my career where all we had to do was switch the car. And to this day, I can't think of one time that any human has ever gotten into my car and gone faster than me. Had happened. So I, I didn't keep working on it. To me, everything was about the car. Um, oh, my and God. This really, and, and this really got in, like embedded in me in 2003 when I first went over to Europe. Because my first year was a train wreck. I finished in the top 10 in British Formula 3 maybe twice we were terrible and I was 100% convinced that, yeah, okay, these European guys are just way better than us and I am not good enough to do it over here and, okay, that kind of fits in line with the story I had told myself about how good the European open wheel guys were. But at the very end of the year, and, and this is where, this is why I say Helmet was so, you know, responsible for me, you know, being where I am, is he said, you know, no, I've seen something with him at, at the driver's search. I don't, I'm not sure about this. I want you guys to bring the guy that won the championship the year before. I want him to come out and test these two cars with Scott and his teammate. Because my teammate had actually won a race. His name was Will Davidson. He had won a race. He was doing reasonably well. And we went and we, we went to a test at Snedderton. And me and Will got to test the car for like two sessions, like two little five lap runs to kind of put down a base time. And then this, the, the champion, Robbie Kerr was his name. He was going to get in the cars and test them. And when Robbie got in the cars, he did my teammate's car first. And my teammate was at the time like four tenths quicker than me in practice, which was, was kind of par for the course. He had done like a 102.1. I was like a 102.5. I'm pretty sure those times are right, right too. And Robbie gets in his car and he goes two tenths quicker than my teammate in his own car. And now I'm looking at like six tenths of time around a mm. one minute track. I'm like, holy crap. Like, how can I be this bad? And I remember, I know, <laughs> I know exactly where I was standing. I remember the stopwatch I was holding. Robbie gets in my car. He runs out there. He runs 1026. I think he ended up finally getting down to the time I ran after like two or three sessions. And I like the impact that that had on me psychologically was just um it just implanted so heavy that anytime something went wrong i was like well it has to be the car mm. i mean it's not me mm. and someone else getting this thing so that was actually a bad thing that happened to you <laughs> well it was good because yeah. i got another chance and then i right. got to go the next year and race formula renault where i won two championships and then eventually to gp2 um but it was bad in the sense that it, it ingrained to me this idea that um the the cars everything wow um, so when he says louis leotzi's braking here you're like well his brakes must be better or no 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 wh- see, I, that's that's all that's detail that's driving like i can see all that live right. like right, we're, right. yeah you're not i'm not arguing i'm not lying about that to myself like i know that in formula one we have the exact exact same cars i know his driving style i can see all that data and some things i could match some things i could do better and some things I couldn't do better, mm. um, and but I knew very specifically what those were, right? And and that's like the last like little bit. The, the the big thing was going to work on myself and saying, okay, what can I do to be better today than I was yesterday? Pfft, didn't even try. Wow. Well, it's an interesting thing because I think uh, you know we feel like that uh, watching it because sometimes there's great drivers and. It, it, 
unlike if you're playing basketball or if you're in other sports, like you're, you know, it is dependent on the the machinery. Max Verstappen, if he gets in into a Williams, isn't getting into the top five of any race this year, probably, despite the fact that we understand and we know that he's a great driver. So it is. I feel like you know that's a difficult balance to to the tightrope to walk, which is you know one of wanting to feel confident. Not wanting to put too much blame on yourself, you know. Sometimes we 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 a lot of what we do on the pod is we an, analyze the psychology of the you know I, we Matt's a writer, I'm an actor. Like we we, are, we get into the heads of of mm-hmm. these these drivers, and sometimes it feels like you know Charles Leclerc can be so hard on himself in a way that's like you know, but you didn't even mess that up, or you know, or when he's he's trying to dig himself out of a hole that it kind of seems like his team put him in, and then it, it, you know he's taking on too much blame. And he overcompensates. Or, you know, that's the thing with Checo right now, right? Is like Checo's like he's 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 finds himself like oh he's he's got to make up for a mistake and then he makes an even bigger mistake. Oh, he'll compounding mistakes deal. Seen that right? right? <laughs> yeah, it feels like our our analysis of what's kind of going on there was that like you know he's he's run up against Max and Max is obviously Max and he's trying to kind of like will himself into this other stage and then he's making all these errors and actually kind of like it's you know it falling down a bit of a hill you know what i recently read is that he's been offered a different like they're like this setup will be better for you but it's a little bit slower and he goes no 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 no. i need the same setup as max like and it's just <laughs> and it's just like he can't just accept that he just can't do max's setup he just wants everything the same as max he wants the same exact setup, and that's what's what's been so hard for him is that he wants that really pointy, you know, he wants whatever's fastest, just like Max, and but he can't handle that setup, and it's just that's ego, right? Or or is that just as a race car driver, if you make it to Formula One, is is it just physically impossible to admit that you're slower than somebody else? Is that just? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about that. I think that look, like you said, Formula One is unique in motor racing in the sense that every one of those cars is different. So then you're really in different cars. Right. So how that impacted me personally was, well, okay, as long as I'm able to do what Tonio's doing in the car, well, then there's nothing else to do. I'm just showing up every race weekend, trying my hardest, obviously, when I'm there. But where, what, what can I do? Where can I put energy and effort into? And that's what, that's for me, what... Um, sent me the other direction away from formula one because to me it was just boring like i remember after mm. form, after you know i got in the big altercation with france bless his heart he's got a tough job he's got a really tough job trying to trying to help these these uh, air you know these these young kids uh you know on their journey as they enter formula one um but you know when, when i left that you know i had other opportunities with other f1 teams and I didn't even think about it. Like, I just wanted to run away. I was like, geez, this is bo-. like, I, in my mind, imagine what it would be like to instead of be running like 11th or 12th, be running third or fourth. And for me, couldn't care less. Like, I didn't, like, my drive um, was about proving to myself, um, you know, how good I was. And when, like, to me, I could never answer that because I knew everybody's car's different. Like, that's not a, that's not what drives you. That's not what, um, is a healthy way to, um, you know, motivate you. And what is really cool is when you see guys like, you know, Michael Schumacher and the mindset that he had, which to, to be that good and to reach that level, um, 
Like he's easily beating his teammates. He's in the best car, but he's still pushing himself and getting better every single day. Like that's that's the uh, the right mindset. That's something that um, you know uh, that you should inspire to be like. And you know, I didn't have that. To me, uh, I did. Like I said, I didn't think I can get any better. And when you can't even compare yourself anymore because all the cars are different, then well, like what are we doing? Interesting. So is is that so? Did you kind of had that kind of attitude? Is that did that build up and cause that confrontation you have with Franz Toast? Because he seems like a pretty, you know, <laughs> mellow guy, mild mannered guy. And then you know, the, then then he's he. You guys have a physical altercation. Like were, were you just kind of in the like, oh, shut up, Franz. Like come on, like it's stupid. Yeah, walk us just, walk us through how you made this tiny man my. My last race was so career. It's it was so good. Uh, so the thing is, is it had been boiling for a while, right? I yes. think there was pressure coming politically um, from Ferrari to bring a, a different guy in, and France was in a really difficult position. Um, and so there was this thing, this stuff building in the background, and as it's going and going, I am like probably less and less happy in general with um, how things were. And um, we we go to the Nurburgring. Now our car was crazy fast in the rain. Um, earlier that year, I remember specifically in Monaco and free practice one. I spent time at on the top of the leaderboard with that thing, and then, and then it dried up after free practice one, and things went back to reality. <laughs> but for whatever reason, our car was super fast in the wet, and so it was dry through the Nurburgring through practice and qualifying. Antonio I, and I qualified. I think like. 16th and 17th or something like we started it we were not really good and it started downpouring right on the grid and we i had the most fun first lap of my life because our car was really good and we were just driving around people and we i think we entered the pit lane like 11th and 12th or maybe even 10th and 11th um but in the last in the last chicane i'd gotten by tonio so i came in in front of tonio in pit in the pits and so they weren't they were expecting Tonio and so when I stopped they started putting his tires on and they're like oh shoot this is Scott had to take the tires back off so I don't know I was there for 30 seconds or something oh, it took a Jesus. while like the race at that point was kind of over put on rains now now it's it's torrential rain at this point right full wets going around a bit ways back but we're still like going to be probably pretty fast and we go down into the first corner and the first corner at the Nürburgring is really downhill and I go in there and I break. I break somewhere super early. Like I'm pretty concerned. I don't normally crash on my own. And I hit the brakes. The thing doesn't even come close to stopping. I think <laughs> I, I hit the gravel trap still going about like a buck fifty because it's just hydroplane down the hill. Yeah, yeah. And you know I'm hitting the gravel trap and and there's two other cars sitting there. And then Jensen Button comes sliding in. And then Lewis Hamilton comes sliding in. It's like everybody's yeah, everyone crashing. was everyone went yeah, off in the corner. Like, and I was at this this point where I was like, I'm actually kind of still pretty pumped. Like I was, I made made some legit passes on the first lap. I remember driving around the outside of Schumacher, Ralph Schumacher, um, in like turn nine. It was just a really cool experience that that we were fast for once, you know. And that was really fun. Um, it didn't end up the way we obviously it, it could have, but whatever. I, I like I, it didn't really bother me for some reason. And I came yeah. in and I was talking with my engineer. John and I was like, "Wow, how crazy was that?" You know, and I was actually kind of smiling. Um, and France is like a level ten pissed, and right. we were just on such a different like spectrum of emotion. 
that he he was super pissed and he said what happened i think i probably said like everybody's just hydroplaning off the track he's like no not everybody just the wankers and i looked over there and i was like yeah you're right france lewis jensen bunch of wankers out there you got it buddy <laughs> and I, I think i even told him to f off um which was was stupid uh, and i turned around and just walked away but i like i said like that that that's something that accumulated i did i wasn't happy there like yeah. that I I didn't have the mindset needed to be successful over there where um, I could work on myself without getting to see a result. Because like it, if I worked harder that week and got better, even if I did get a little better, there's no way for me to really see it. I couldn't quantify it because mm. if we ran 12th or 10th, mostly had to do with whether we got a new piece of wing on the car or something. Right, right, right. Um, mm. So it wasn't really measurable for me. Um, and that just... Um, that's just a product of not having any kind of uh, training or help psychologically to develop any of those mental <laughs> models to be able to to really be successful. Well, it makes it's interesting because it, it speaks to the mindset that you have, which I think is it, there's a kind of healthy there's a healthiness to that. The feeling of I'm not going to get so hung up on stuff that's like out of my control. And all I can do is what's in my control or, or, or a feeling of like I'm not going to be. You know, like I have to prove this, proving something to yourself, and 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 kind of holding your opinion to an audience of one. There's a there's a healthiness to that, but I could see how in that type of environment, you smiling and laughing after a result like this because you were excited because earlier in the race you had done well. But it speaks to like you know that you're a healthy. I could, of course, he'd see that and interpret that as that this kid doesn't give a shit. But like you know, you just had a different. Uh, you know, hierarchy of, of what was important to you at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, is ego is a, a a hell of a drug and it'll hide a lot of stuff from you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like I was I was the last person that was ever going to look at anything I could do better. Right, um, right, right. And, and that's a shame just um, because, you know, you know, obviously now being older and, and having gone down this route and, and gone down the the area of growth and having a true growth mindset and really bettering myself um it's a shame because god like it's life is so cool and we live in a world right now where there's so much information out there for you to to absorb and to learn from Mm -hmm. uh it's just what what an amazing time to be alive and when did this when did this ego death occur like how did this happen? When did when did you shed the um, oh. Kenny Powers of uh, attitude? Ah, well, uh, when I probably when I came back to do NASCAR, you know, mm. I was mm. I was competing in the most competitive motor racing in the world, and it, it was so similar. It was it's almost comical how similar my experience was to Days of Thunder with Cole Trickle without the eventual success <laughs> because <laughs> I came in. And I, I could drive the cars really fast. My very first ever test in a, in a cup car around Charlotte, I think I was second quickest. Um, but what I had no idea to do at all was race on an oval. And I spent you know, the only real short window of opportunity I had there with a good team, never even looking at a piece of video or anything that I could have done better. And... Um, and, and not too much later when I, I did realize that, um, uh, I guess I, I realized, well, shoot, like, I can't, I can't blame this one on the car. Like, obviously, um, 
these guys are a lot better at this than I am, which was okay. I didn't grow up doing it. That was an easy excuse for me to, to, to call out for myself. But um, to not get better and to put everything into getting better, that's that was the ego saying, no, man, you can't. Dude, you're good. You, you don't need to be putting in this work. You don't need to be doing that. Um, and it, it really limited me from ever really looking at what I could have done better. Interesting. I, I, you know, we, we, we talked to Joseph Newgarden um, after he won the Indy 5, and it was interesting talking to him because I think he's someone who kind of has almost too much of the, like, I can always get better, and there's always something I can do, and that, you know, that kind of thing. And what he said before the Indy 500 this year was that, like, normally he's he's pouring over, you know, every piece of, uh, you know, uh, tape and analytics and data that he can that he can and this year and he's never won the he never won the indy five and then this year he was like you know what i've done enough work i'm just gonna like just trust that when the time comes i'll know what to do and he was like he he credited that to you know part of the thing that making the difference this year you know because it's all it's all about balance because there's probably people who constantly feel like i could always do better i could always do better and and they, what they need is a little bit more of the like, no, like I'm the sh- like I'm the shit, and like I'm good, and like actually yeah. it was the fucking car this time. It's, it's about so, finding man, that it's balance. So fun. It's so fun to under like to learn that part of the psychology and what's really happening. That's just expectation. We we yeah. all been there. I was there myself. Like the, sometimes the the harder I tried, the worse I did. There was a reason I ended up in the state. Uh, you know the the thinking model and the state I was in is because that's what ended up working for me. Right. Um, but really, that came down to just you know the more and more effort I put in, the harder I worked. Well, then my expectations went up, and 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 then you, you don't reach that expectation. Then now you're now you're spiraling. Now you're trying to do. I think things. it's a defense mechanism because um, God, who's that great Australian tennis player, Brian? Oh, oh curious. Curious. He's like one of those guys who who's like they call him the most naturally talented person, the most naturally talented tennis player, and he never practices. He doesn't have a coach. He doesn't have a coach. And everyone talks about how talented he, he is and think about how much he could achieve if he just, you know, buckled down. And it's almost like it's almost so when he makes it to the quarterfinals or whatever, or the semis and loses, everyone goes, Oh my god, what an achievement for a guy who doesn't practice right you know do you think that there was a bit of a defense mechanism there i probably that's that that's not i mean yeah i can relate to that a lot i always had the excuse that i never tried because i because it was a really easy one well if you don't try and you fail well then okay well i, I probably could have uh, you can always tell yourself well i could have done that if i would have tried mm. um Right. So sure, he made uh, it pretty far without <laughs> fucking trying. Yeah, yeah and it's not. I can't. Like, I, and it's There's not so many people who have tried really hard to get to Formula One. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't say it's not even that too because I, I it's I did try. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's just that the idea of putting in work. Um, was really difficult for me to do that without without having such a high expectation or mm. to be in a place where I didn't perform good. I, I, right, I couldn't right. match those. I couldn't increase my my work level and and the energy that I put into it without screwing up how I performed because I didn't have a, a model to deal with that. 
And it's also probably the work that you don't want to do, right? It's like, there's probably work that you enjoy doing, but so much of it is like, you got to do the work that you don't want to do. Yuki Sonoda is talking about how he hates, you know, it's like, he's not physically fit enough to be in Formula One, and he's like, <laughs> bitching and moaning as he has to work out now to be in, and now he's got a six pack, but he's like, not happy about it. Well, he said, he said um, Franz was in better shape than he was. Yeah, Franz is better shape because, you, you know, you were like, you said what you said earlier. I got to go back to this. You said, you know, I told him to F off and I walked away. But then what we've heard is that, that there was a physical altercation. And, and there oh, was, I just there grabbed was... me by my shirt a little bit. Okay. Nothing okay. crazy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he grabbed me by the collar and was like, I, I antagonized the hell out of him. Wait, so, so. Uh, bless his, honestly, bless his heart. Like he. He uh, he has to deal with a lot. Yeah, you, you're surprised he didn't do it sooner. So, <laughs> so I guess so. You're so is is the key to just learn how to like work as hard as you can, but not set your expectations. Is to keep the expectations like whatever happens, mm. have that blase attitude, right? Whatever happens, happens. Work as hard as you can. Like, if you could just get to the point where you can work as hard as you can and accept whatever comes. That seems like the key, and fall in it's love with so, the process. It's so complex. It's so complex. I love. I love the idea of falling in love with the process, and I love the idea of uh, of keeping expectations in check. Um, and I think having an awareness of the things you can control, um, and putting energy into those things that you control, they're going to have the 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 biggest um, influence on on the outcomes that you want. Yeah, um, I think you figure out what those things are, and then you have the discipline to put the energy there, um, and that's a pretty healthy way to to progress. Yeah, it's always it's always rough, right? When you when you when you go to a guy's house and he's got the ping pong table, and then you beat him in ping pong, and it's like, dude, you have a table, like. <laughs> you know, it's much better to be the guy who doesn't have the table and loses. You're like, well, I don't have the table. I don't like. Right. I, <laughs> Well, you know? I think that's a, that's a thing that everyone experiences in ev- like in everyday life. That's a that's a applicable thing. It's certainly applicable for us. You know, it's like sometimes you know we've been doing this for a few years now. It's like you sometimes you work really hard on a video, like especially when the early days when we were doing everything ourselves. It's like you 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 know you pour over this video and you're like this is gonna murder, and then it gets like no results, and you're like what the yeah. fuck? Like you know it's hard to just not take. It's it's so easy in life, especially if you're doing something, you know, that you care about. Um, but you you want to do something you care about. But then the the other thing is that you care about it. So then if it doesn't go well, then all of a sudden it's like your self worth feels like it's on the chopping block. There's a lot there. I'm yeah. gonna name drop. I only I always I always name drop the same person because I know like yes. three celebrities. Uh, I know Rob like, Reiner. Rob Reiner. I I did a movie with him, and but he he told this great story about. Um, you know Warren Beatty. He he introduced his kids to Warren Beatty. Oh, right, right. And he said, um, you know, he goes Warren, kids, kids, Warren, right. And uh, and he goes and the and the, he said nice. The kids said nice to meet you. Warren said nice to meet you, kids. Kids nice to meet you, Warren. And then the Warren Beatty shuffles off, right. And then and then um, the kids and, and Rob goes. Kids, you know who that was? That was Warren Beatty. And the kids were like, who the fuck is Warren Beatty? And he was like, Warren Beatty was bigger than DiCaprio, bigger than Cruz. He was starred in movies. He directed movies. He was the cat's pajamas. 
And that, now he's just the guy who fucked up the Oscars, you know, with La La Land and Moonlight or whatever the fuck, right? So, and that's, you know, that's a, that was a great reminder for him that, like, fame, glory, all the results. Like, this guy, this guy Warren Beatty, was, you know, everything that you'd want to be in his given profession. And, like... Nobody gives a shit anymore about Warren Beatty. Oh, that's so that's so interesting, right? Because it's not and it's it's really hard to, you know, when it comes to like how you're valuing yourself, um, you know, as you get fame, I, I, I lived this right as you become famous or you you elevate your station in life, then you get things you get mm. um, perks and it's really easy to I you know think that those are yours and those are are from from you but really those are those are the position you hold mm. and when you leave that position right those perks leave too but that's not yeah. you you know what i mean at the end of the day we're we're all going to uh we're all end up in the same place um, and I think it's easy as you're going through that, especially, you know, in, in the field that you guys are in and, and where that that popularity and that exposure is so big to think that that, you know, those things that come with that are are who you are. But but ultimately, it's just the, the position and the station you're holding at the time. No, but the lesson, I think, is to like, you know, what you can't take away from, you know, people who have achieved things is, you know, if, if they've enjoyed the process, if they've enjoyed the work or, you know, what, you know, what they've, what they've gotten out of the work that they've done. Well, if you and, do it all for the results, if you're, if you're too result oriented, there's, you know, it's, it's what we're all going to die. You know, it's like, it, that's where sometimes the glory, the, 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 the glory sentiment is an interesting one. It feels like a flawed one in a way to me, that, because there's something that kind of feels unhealthy about that. That the the feeling of, um, you know, I have to, it has to like live on. It, it has to be this thing because there's a there's a level where you might do everything you can to get better and to do all these things and to achieve and to achieve and to achieve and to achieve. But are you like are you you know what are you are you're, you're running from something as well? Sometimes people work so hard because they're running from something as well. You can avoid work to run from something, and you can like you can be an underachiever and you can be an overachiever as a way of avoidance. Those are both like very <laughs> real, you know, coping mechanisms. Sounds like you managed to do both. But anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, look, uh, it's 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 fascinating. I love you know. I'm relatively new to to the study of um psychology and i i can say that it's so fascinating what what the stories are that we tell each other ourselves and um you know what shapes us as humans and and why we do what we do it's it's infinitely fascinating to me and i think the 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 biggest takeaway i've had is you know, I, I kind of think as a kid, I always thought that there was like a right or a wrong way, and it never occurred to me that someone could have a different perspective. Um, there was just only right or wrong. And mm. as I became older, and I realized that, look, this—it's all a fugazi. It's a fugazi. Like we're all, <laughs> everything we're seeing is just from our perspective, from our lifetime of experiences. And the way I see something is going to be different than you, and you, and you. And when you stop trying to like decide what the right way or wrong way is and you just are comfortable with, look, that's how I see it. But it's cool if you see it a different way. And gosh, there's so much beauty in that that I found that 
Um, I now search out people that think very differently than me or have lived a much different life than me because I think it's just so fascinating all of these beautiful points of view you can have, um, uh, you know, by let's say you watch a race. You know, and you and your buddies are fans of two different people and they crash. Well, that was that guy's fault. No, it was his fault. You know, yeah. right. or, or like you play, I see it, my girls play soccer. And the uh, if you've ever been to like a, a kid's soccer match, the sidelines of the parents is a pretty rowdy place. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, the, the ref will make a call and half the sideline is screaming, yay. And uh, the other half of the sideline is yelling at the referee, you know. <laughs> um, and I think that I, I at the moment just really love that diversity of perspective from people. Um, yeah. Speaking of an interesting perspective, we, we, we know that you did you race for Gunther Steiner's NASCAR team, didn't you? Yeah. Gunther Steiner was racing, was running the Red Bull NASCAR team when I came over there and I had been friends with Gunther before Gunther was the technical director at Jaguar when mm. Red Bull had first bought the team. So gosh, right. when I was 2004, I don't know, I was maybe 20 racing formula Renault. I got to sit in that car at, at one of the races and Gunther was like the guy showing us all around. He was kind of in charge of running that team. So I've known him for a really long time. <laughs> and he got to give a got to give me a Gunther. Pre, if you think pre- of it, when you think back at that time, like is there a specific? Might be maybe a story or just like a visual or something <laughs> like what? What is when you think if you like snapshot like this is what I think of Gunther Steiner from that time in my life? Like what immediately comes to mind? Man, Gunther. I don't know. I think Gunther is super authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really authentic human. And for me, Gunther's always been a bit of a mentor. He lives literally two miles up the street. Oh, you know, wow. And right. ever, if ever I'm in a spot where I need like some guidance or um, I really um, want a, a different perspective, like he's been a great friend. Um, oh wow! I, I love the, I love the fact that he's pretty little bit famous now because <laughs> yeah. like even here in Mooresville, this is NASCAR USA. Nobody knew what Formula One was when I moved here. Zero, which was kind of fun because I it's almost like I got to start over. Right. Um, but now, like he'll even go to the local restaurants here, and people will recognize him, and it's adorable. I love it. I'm like, hey, did you? Did you is- ever? Did you you must have never known. Like this guy showing me the car at Jaguar is going to be a global superstar at some point. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty funny how this has all worked out for sure. For him. I mean, look, the, the, the Netflix show has changed um, fundamentally a lot. And it's right. really cool that it is elevating motor racing across the board, whether that's IndyCar, NASCAR. I'm a big believer, like all, you know, a high tide, tide lifts all ships. Yeah. The, these, um, anything that's helping motor racing, something that, you know, I obviously have a passion for. Um, I, I think that's great for everybody. So it, it's, um, it's been cool to watch that happen. Um, I, I kind of feel that way about literally this podcast because like we come from a Hollywood world and I feel like I'm always trying to like, imp- you know, it was like this feeling of trying to impress my other actor, writer, director friends about like what thing I'm doing. And then I got, went into this Formula One world and now we're having all the success in this thing that like none of my friends know anything about. Mm-hmm. But then they like look at they're like oh shit like what the fuck like your, your your clips get millions of views like I what the what's and I love that I like it feels yeah. like I'm in this this it the, the pressure of the this the situation is, has been taken off completely and it's like I feel like I'm in like a a, a playground of like oh yeah. I, it's, with none of my baggage 
You know, yeah. it makes sense though. It totally makes sense for you guys. Look, you guys seem super authentic, and you're just curious about something that you don't. You're not experts in, and whoa. you get to share that journey. But I think that it's it's so interesting because you guys have you know a, a point of view that I wouldn't think of. You know, I see racing way differently than you guys do, right? But <laughs> if you want to connect with with someone, um, you know that that doesn't have that lifetime of experience in it, like you guys ha- are thinking of those questions. You guys are thinking of you know those things that you're curious about that are going to be similar to to what most people who are getting in the sport think scott you know what i'm really curious about i have to ask you this yeah we gotta have to we gotta ask you about the i racing situation oh my band yeah (laughs) yeah yeah because let's gotta know what your mental map was like in that (laughs) in that fucking in that fucking situation you know a youtuber looked at you know People were saying, you know, yes. Scott. Scott's a hazard on the track, and then they looked. And they said, you know, his stats were. He's a very clean driver. He only was averaging four points a race, which four points a race is very clean because you get one point for driving off the track, yeah, like two yeah, points for this, and it was like yeah. four points a race is you get four <laughs> points for hitting somebody. So if you're under four points a race, that means. And then they went. There was this two day stretch where Scott averaged thirteen points, and they were like, I don't. I don't know and the guy was like i don't know if scott got off on the wrong side of the bed or what was going on in his personal life but he just so for those of you guys who don't know scott was banned from i racing and he was the spokes like he was a fucking brand ambassador for i racing so he had a financial incentive for this not to happen please you gotta uh, tell financial. me i wouldn't say a financial incentive was, but i've known everybody at i racing for a long time they're all f- amazing humans <laughs> uh <laughs> I couldn't believe that someone I know what video you're talking about. I cannot <laughs> believe someone made something like put the energy to do that. That's that's pretty incredible. Someone made an amazing video. You know Josh Revel, he made an amazing he did like a whole retrospective on your career. Did you know that? Uh-uh. Oh yeah, there's like a 20 minute that, that that that's that's included in there. It's like a 20 minute kind of, you know, talking about your career. It's just, <laughs> it's fantastic. Shout out to Josh Revel on Here, YouTube. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, I, I you can imagine. I was definitely not taking it very seriously. Um, <laughs> this uh it the thing is I was I was waiting to go do a race and um, I entered in this uh, this race in a car and track I'd never really driven in, you know, just for funsies. To co- actually, I was trying to collect safety rating for something that was coming up, so I was literally just trying to do laps. Okay, and this guy, okay, amazing. Hey, that's the that's the objective. That's the goal. My, and then- <laughs> yes, I, I don't I don't remember if I was trying to collect i racing. Like I think what yeah. was going on is at the time some of my friends were racing these endurance races. And you needed like a high I rating and I never was really on there. So I had to like just do races to get a level right. up, so to speak. And so I was just kind of entering these races to collect I rating. So when we would race, I could be in the same tier as them. We were, I think we we're doing like some endurance races. And so I'm running around. I'm doing like Mazda races. And in between them, I'm like, I'm going to do this little Porsche race at Nürburgring. And I get in there and, and we we're in like a little practice session. One of these guys was really fast. And we go and we, we do the qualifying, but he like screws it up and he qualifies like behind me somehow. I was on pole for some reason. I think I just made a clean lap. And so we're racing. This guy's way faster than me. And I'm racing a little bit. 
and I'm driving around leading and he hasn't been able to pass me yet. And then eventually he like goes to pass me and he kind of like side swipes me. Kind of iRacing is, is hard because you don't have perfect perspective of like where the cars are. So right. like stupid stuff crashes happen all the time. And this guy kind of like misjudged where I was and, and crashed me. And so I was like, I lost all, like, I'm like, Jesus, this was such a waste of time. I felt like an idiot. I shouldn't even have been in there doing it, you know? And so I'm like, I left the pits. It was like a, I was like, well, he's not going to win this race. And I leave the pits. And, and so I leave the pits and I go to try to crash him and I miss him big time. And then I, I think I go and try to crash him again. I miss him again. <laughs> and I eventually crash him. Like I finished right. the job, but yeah, I yeah, like yeah. went back to the pits. I, I can't think actually another time I've actually done that either. <laughs> but what made this a problem yeah. is he was streaming, and yeah. then it became mm. this deal where because he was streaming live, he was talking about it, and then he right. shared with his friends. And then next thing you know, like literally the next morning, my buddy <laughs> sends me a picture of his iPhone, and the latest news story is. Former F1 driver goes berserk on Iris. Like, oh god, that can't. This, that's not good. Like, oh, wait, we can't be showing up here. Like, what? Uh, what is I racing? Why does anybody care? Like, really? And it was like this big deal, and that that made it really clear at that moment just how important gaming is and streaming, and something that I had no idea like people were really doing at the time. Oh my god! Wait, so so you were pissed that he <laughs> fucked up your safety rating when he hit you? Well, he, he crashed me. It, right. it didn't see. It wasn't even really on purpose, but like he he crashed me, right? Um, from a mistake that he did. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and an eye for an eye, you know? And an eye for an eye, baby, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you wrecked me. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wait, so well, did, you yeah. See, did, you see, did you see what Max did? Yeah, that's just how Max mm-hmm. just did this. No. But the thing is, like, I imagine, look, there's other instances. That there's, there's multiple instances of us going on there and, and, and doing things, you know, like that. And everybody wants to put it under the microscope and be like, oh, my right. gosh. But at the end of the day, like, dude, we're just normal. I mean, we have the same reactions as everybody else on there no that's um, why we love it we love it because it feels like when i when i play relatable. video games with my friends and they and they i'm like okay well you're not gonna fucking win this race and i'm gonna yeah. do everything i can to take you out i mean max did this during a charity event there was a charity i racing thing and this guy who is known for being a dirty i racer and he took out Max, and then Max just cut through the chicane and just fucking torpedoed him and took them both off. And it was uh, beautiful. We, I mean, you know, the press can do what you know. People can be like, well, well, you know, they can turn that into whatever. For us, for guys like us, it's like, oh, what we love about a thing like that is that it feels so relatable. It feels like, oh, that's that's what I would do if I was in that position. So they're they're mere they're mere mortals just like me. Yeah. Um. Do you feel like? Yeah. Like I, I feel like you know you've. Because now you're 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 doing more mentorship stuff, right? So can you talk yeah. to us about what you're what you're up to now in terms of in, in all that? Yeah, I'm still doing. Um, I'm still with Subaru and Red Bull. Um, Rallycross here in America has um, is is in kind of a weird place because it's gone all electric, um, and Subaru doesn't um, really sell a performance electric vehicle right now, so mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense to to go there. Um, you know, obviously in the, for the last seven years I've done rallycross. Um, I finally actually got to do something in racing that was cool. I haven't, I have three X games, gold medals. 
Yeah. Which uh, are, I think, pretty much the only trophies I actually have in my house because they're actually <laughs> cool. Like, I've never thought racing was cool. Um, those, I, for some reason, like, I think those are yeah, just X really games cool. Are cool like, man. The X Games are yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, I watched that. I watched your last win. That was insane. Yeah. Uh, Rallycross is insane. It looks like it's like the closest thing to, like, if an action movie was a sport. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's super anyway. fun. The cars, you know, what, what's fun for for me is, you know, how to how to how to drive those cars. You know, what you're physically doing in them are so much different to anything. Well, really, anything else that that I had driven. You know, one of the one of the cool things about you know coming to do NASCAR was understanding and learning that well, there's a completely different way to drive a race car, and these guys do that really, really really well and to try to, to to learn that eventually when i open myself up to that to do that process like i become you know infatuated with you know growing myself and growing you know my knowledge and 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 skill set behind the wheel of a car like i love that pursuit way more than winning some trophy i just love the pursuit of learning wow so if i if i, if I do this in the car that's how you have to make this go fast this is very different for me i have to think about this way differently whether that's a stock car or a rallycross car or like a sprint car all these sort of vehicles require um their own um you know their own way to drive them fast um you know i've been fortunate enough to have mostly been brave enough to leave like a safe space for me which was open wheeling and, and road course racing it would have been very easy to go to indie car or sports car racing or something that i have that i already have that skill set for it, it was if anything um you know I'm thankful that I made a call to do something mild, wildly different. Even though I thought that I was just going to be really good at it, as it turned out, I wasn't, and I had to had to learn it. Um, but that process really changed a lot of of my my future because I realized how much I enjoyed that growth. So rallycross was the same thing. You know, I went in and I had a huge learning curve. I had to had to learn a lot about it. Um, but through that process um, and and learning, I. Um, I guess I had an appreciation for, you know, more of the art of driving. And so when COVID happened and really also at the time I'd broken my back in 2019 and I wasn't, I wasn't racing anymore. Um, I had the opportunity to start working with my, my father and my brother's go-karting team and helping them out. And I realized that passion I have for helping other people. Mm. Um, and it just so happens at the time, one of my best friends, his name's Josh Wise, um, he had started, you know, when his career had kind of finished in, in the stock car racing world, he had started a company that was going to figure out how to help racing car drivers drive better and perform better because they, there's not one out there. I'd been in, you know, I'd been in formula one with the best physios and sports psychologists. I I've done all these things, but no one was ever really able to help me drive better. You know, if, if I didn't figure that out on my own with, with my engineer and and looking at data myself, no one was there to tell me or help me do that better. Mm. Um, and it seems kind of silly that a sport this big didn't have that, especially in America here. Um, and so Josh had kind of had that that same discovery and started um, doing that um, as, as a job. You know, when he quit driving, he's like, I'm going to start helping racing drivers. Um, and then he quickly realized that to do that well, he's going to need to learn psychology. He's going to need to study communication. Um, and he ended up, I'm super pumped for him, so proud of him because last year he finished his degree in psychology. 
Um, and for the last five years, he's had this company and we've grown it. I, I, I started, um, you know, I partnered up with him two, two years ago now. Um, and, and we work with, you know, um, you know, high level motor racing athletes and, and young kids and development kids. And that, that world that we have there is, is, um, is a really, really happy place for me where I can help, I can influence other people, I can grow myself, I can get better at what I'm doing, and, and everything is now in a place now for me that I'm, I'm super comfortable and, and sort of um, just really authentically happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so talk to me about how you work with these kids. I mean, obviously, this is, these are young people in a very competitive, high-pressure environment. How do you... How do you try to take talk the to a young Scott Speed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you well, I mean, there's a big scope, right? There's there, yeah. there's a big range. We work with you know some of the best racing drivers in the country in NASCAR, and we also work with kids that are 13, 14 years old. So I mean, yeah. it's a huge, huge margin of um, experience and ability level with the people we work with. Um, but but ultimately, there it's it's all about the human. Um, and every single person, it's kind of like a different race car. They all right. need something else. And, and, and the challenge is, is I know how to probably, I, in most cases, know how to do something or how to drive. And on, in some cases, some of these guys, you know, they're the best racing drivers in the country. Like, I'm not going to tell them really how to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in, in all these different cases, you have to figure out a way to where you can... Um, either create an environment for them or communicate in a way for them where they can um, explore and, and get curious and grow and, and start, you know, moving in a, in a positive direction. I have a, here's an interesting question. How do you think this Scott Speed would have talked to young Scott Speed? How would you have approached him? Do you think you would, or you would have been like, "Fuck oh, you, it's the car." I th- no, under <laughs> no understanding. I, I think right. that um, at the end of the day, people want to be um, understood. You know, um, hmm. I would ask questions. You know what I mean? Um, first and foremost, um, and um, I think this Scott Speed would have probably asked that Scott Speed first, like, "What do you want?" Like. Where are you? Where, where are you going? Like, what? What is like? Um, like, why? Why are you doing it? And what is it that you want to do? Mm. And really have have that um, more pointed instead of sort of just going wherever opportunities had taken me, and having more um, accountability and more um, intention on what I was doing. Being in the driver's seat of your own life. Whoa! Yeah, more so. Yeah, sure. But but truly, I, I say I say that to people all the time. I feel like you know, so many times in our life, that's just the metaphor that I use. But it's like you have to. It can be easy to just be on the bus or just feel like I'm on the someone else is driving my car, and then you can feel like you can it can feel like well because of x thing that happened to me or x situation or whatever that i'm not in control of my decisions and i'm not in control of my life yeah. but if you can start to if you can take the scary plunge to actually living your life with a bit more intention and ask yourself those scary questions then the rewards uh, are are boundless on the other side of it i think the 
the the important thing to keep in mind too is like like I I will have like time to to help influence or to to be with someone and there's going to be times when they're maybe they're they're not going to be with me or they're even going to be getting bad advice or they're going to be having experiences that maybe aren't perfect but that that I can't control and I think of really focusing on doing the best I can do um, and 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 having agency in that to say i i'm going to do the best job i can for this human um that that's like an easy driver for me when mm. really wanting someone to do well is a, is a is a easy motivating factor for me that's easy to get up at five in the morning to go put the work in like that is an easy thing to have drive for for me um and so it, i try to do the best i can every day and um um, that, that's, uh, that's all I can do. Amazing. Well, I feel fulfilled. I feel fulfilled. Obviously, obviously I want to know if you had any interactions with Fernando Alonso. <laughs> um, not, not a ton. Um, <laughs> no, the thing about the thing about life over there and in formal, like all the teams, everybody's so that comes from different cultures They're everybody's speaking different languages. It's not su- a super fun place. Mm-hmm. Um, not like if you go to like a NASCAR race, all the race teams are from the same culture. Um, they're all from the same place. So there's just this natural camaraderie and ease to it um, that makes it in some ways just more fun. Right. Um, so, I mean, that. So, and when I say that, like, do I have, I had many, many interactions with these guys, like, there was a lot of those guys. Everybody went their own way, you know. Mm. Um, and I was lucky. I was with the Red Bull Junior team. We had a awesome, I had a pack, and that's one thing that probably was advantageous for us. Is between myself and the other Red Bull Junior drivers, like we felt like we had kind of a squad, you know. And, yeah. Uh, all of us young kids had this one thing in common that kind of brought us together, and that made um, a lot of things easier. You know, myself, Christian Clean, Antonio Liuzzi, we're still good friends to this day. Um, and I, gosh, I cherish that friendship. And, and so we were able to be great friends competing at the highest level against each other in most ways. Um, but having someone going through that same experience as you, um, was, um, was, was super powerful and, and brought us together. Who do you look at in, in the motorsport world, whether they be in F1 now or, you know, and you, you look at them of, and, and think, as you know, because as you've done this work and as you've analyzed this and and recognized this within yourself, like who do you look at and think, like that guy's doing it right? That guy's got his his priorities in order. That guy's got you know, who who's on that list for you? Um, man, it's hard. Well, certainly I, I don't know. I can't speak of anybody that's in Europe or that I don't see a lot. Yeah. Um, but I will give an example that I've told my girls once. You know, my girls, um, they play competitive soccer. And my, my oldest girl was um, asked to play on the younger, like the younger team, the, the not as competitive team. Um, and that team was going to go up against a really hard team and they were probably going to lose. And my, my oldest is like, I don't want to play for them. We're just, we're going to get smoked. And, um, I told her one of the things that one of our guys, Ross Chastain has done that I've like really loved is, you know, he will, you know, he's one of the best cup racers in the country. 
You know, he made the final mm-hmm. four last year in dramatic mm-hmm. fashion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he will still, as often as possible, get into a truck, which would be like racing an F2, uh, F3 right. car. Right. In a vehicle that isn't no, it's not winning. Maybe in, in, with a miracle it can win, but it's not at the same caliber as the others. But but doing it with the intention to learn and try to trying to grow from it um, to be able to do that with that many people watching like you have to be in a special place to do that. Um, and so, you know, I frame that for the girls like, look, do you think you'll be better if you got to play this extra game? Like forget the results and forget what ha- happens or what maybe people might think about you. Is this something that you can do that's going to make you better? And do you want to be better? Um, and if that's yes... Right, because well, it matters, right? Because right, I don't yeah, want them right. to play soccer because they think that they need to be great at something. But if that's something <laughs> right. that they love and they want to be good at it, well, if that's your intention, well, is this going to help it or hurt it? Um, and and if this is going to help, then why would you not do it? Is it really? Is it because what people are going to think, or is it because you might lose? Like, uh, right. you know, damn, having a dad for a psychologist. I, I like <laughs> that perspective because. There's not a lot of guys you'll see in motor racing that will go get into a car that's not it's not going to win. Right. We finish top 10, top 20. It's going to be a hell of a day. Um, to have, yeah, um, to, to, to be able to put yourself in that position, I think that's a pretty special place. It's a, mm. it's a great example of, of something I think is um, someone that's doing at least that, that part of it really well. So in a few years, you know, you could just look at your girls when they're you know, doing something questionable and they go, I know what's my intention. And then they'll, <laughs> and then they'll, uh, be, they'll be locked What's in. your why? What's uh, my I, why? I, I, I know. I don't know what my why is, dad. God. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique relationship you have with your kids because yeah. um, they don't want to really listen to you. And honestly, in a lot of ways, they're designed to not listen to you to, so they can go out in the world and, and find yeah. their way. It's a survival. Yeah instinct um but but there's ways around that um for example uh i took the girls to costa rica this summer um as as i just want i wanted something that is going to be challenging for them like they don't speak english there life is hard like that whole journey is going to create problems and stuff that we're going to have to overcome right just challenge i love that you threw their passports into the ocean and you took (laughs) off you said said, well I found like the place that we went, Tamarindo is like one of the best spots in the world to learn how to surf. So I really, our goal was like, I want to go there. I want us all to learn how to surf in my, in my mind. Right. And so I found a really good surf instructor. He's like the Scott and Josh of surfing over there. He's like, got, <laughs> he's got like some, some legit, like psychological yeah. strategies to help you <laughs> learn. And he had the whole thing going right. And the whole time he's there, he's talking to the girls about being grateful. And I like, Hey, you know, like it's really hard to be scared if you're grateful. Right. Like, what are you scared of? Like, Thing. He just he 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 had this whole thing about mindset and this stuff, and the girls like they're listening, you know. And and after like, gosh, it reminds me just like you, Dad. But like he's just you know he says it in a really good way. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Like yeah. I still got it to him. Right, I, I right, still right, got right. them what they need. But like it's I can't be that person that just lectures them and that gives them all that. Like, um, and you know it's it's on them. I want them to to pursue what you know what they want. Um, and be someone here to support them and um, to hopefully just ask them good questions. Yeah. 
It sucks when, it. like, I tell my girlfriend something and then she doesn't listen, <laughs> and then her friend tells them the exact same thing, and then the, she's like, "I just heard this amazing piece of." It. I was like, "That's what I've been telling you to." God damn it! What, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's um, unrelated. This <laughs> <laughs> gets it. Yeah, tur- turns life, into man. therapies. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's, there's, there's there's actually some psychological term for that that specifically, um, which is escaping me now. But um, have you heard of nominative determinism? <laughs> I have not. Nominative determinism is the hypothesis that people tend to gravitate towards areas of work that fit their names. Have you heard of this theory? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, I've, I've, I understand a lot of cognitive biases, I, but that one's not one that I have uh, explored yet. Wow. It, is, it was coined by some academics after a Daniel Snowman published a book about snow and a Platt and we published a uh, urology paper. People were like, wait a minute. There are people with names that there's like a slight correlation. And Freud, yeah. uh, Jung, Jung wrote that f- about Freud. Freud, uh, Freud means joy, and I think German or something, some other language. And it was like maybe there's some sort of bias that's playing on people with their names and what they end up doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's dude, it's endless, and it's cool. And like they, we don't really know yet, you know, like like. We don't know exactly how all this is working in, in the brain and all that, but it's it's really it's it's like an endless exploration. It's so it's so uh, amazing. I I love it very much. <laughs> there is a there is there was a chief judge in England. His name was Judge Judge. Anyway, just just something to, just something to yeah. think about. Hey, uh, the speed thing worked really good in <laughs> racing, but I can tell you that that wasn't very fun in high school when guys were like running past me on the track. Well, not so speed, huh? Uh, yeah. yeah, I got the last laugh. And then you were like, right. "It's my fucking sneakers, bro. It's the yeah. sneakers. It's the equipment. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't have the pumps. I, don't, I gotta get. I gotta get the pumps. Get the, the, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the, the yeah. ones with the pumps on them. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I, I sneakers, wanted those so bro. bad. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah. There's. It's, this is felt like a uh, uh, psychology, just absolute deep dive. With, yeah, it was amazing. With with, I have a hard time not diving deep. That's all Brian wants to do. And anytime, no, I love any, it. when whenever anything comes up, Brian's like, "Well, that has to do with your trauma." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, Matt, the house you were raised in informs everything." <laughs> Gosh, and what yeah. my inner child is telling me right now is, uh, "That's yeah. right. You got you got to write letters to your little inner uh, child. Your over yeah. dear I'm little." Overachiever Matt. Scott, Dear you're so fucking lucky Matt. that you didn't get into your that you didn't hear about your inner child or your trauma today. Let's you got out. You got out. Real Oh, I got look, I got tons. I got tons. The thing is like I think it's on you to label what that is. Right. Like what trauma is to you is so individual. Um if you wanna if you wanna um tell yourself that story, you know, you can. Um but you I think you can also choose. Well, what do you, do you do? You not subscribe to like? Is that too like a? There are people, right? High achieving people that don't subscribe to like the, you know, they 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 ignore their their traumas, right? They don't let that define them, or they don't. Uh, they sort of. Ah, oh, man, I think. Um, look, there's. Um, I think there's people have hard times. You know, I think. Um, 
um, whether it's in their own way or through some sort of trauma. Um, but I think there is a difference just, um, you know, knowing people have gone through similar traumatic things that I went through as a kid that, you know, it affected them differently and they, um, probably gave that more, a a different, um, a different space inside their mind to, to, to live. But, um, I, I think that is, it's an incredibly fascinating area. Um, and, um, I would love to learn more about that. Um, you know, because I think everybody has some traumas, you know, as, as a kid and, you know, you know, the severity of that and the level of that is, um, I think in large part, what, what you decide you want to label that as like, right. Well, 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 it's fat. Well, not to drag this out even more, but like, it was so fascinating. I don't know if you watched the max miniseries that like there was this Dutch miniseries on Matt on max for and he just was like, he, they asked him how you know his parents getting divorced affected him and how he went to live with his dad and how he you know mortgaged his time with his mom to go live with his dad to you know go karting and he was just like it didn't affect me at all it's like how can you it's so crazy to me that for you to all just right. say that you your parents getting divorced and you living with your dad full time to pursue karting didn't affect you at all but I mean, well, a, you can't, it's a very you, that's a very revealing sentence. Yeah, you know that's like you know when when they teach you as as an actor like what you read and when you read a play or you read a script, you write down everything you say about yourself and everything that other people say about you. Yeah, and sometimes those things are wildly different. So like in a sure. movie, you know, it's yeah. and and because your own opinion of yourself, it's you know it. it, it that's the most revealing thing that Max could say. That's the most potent thing that Max could say. Whether he's aware of it or not is 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 a whole other thing. Or what? Who knows what that actually is prescribes? Like, no one's in a position to say like how it affected his life. But there's absolutely no. The laws of physics, say, emotional physics, say Gosh. that there's no way that it didn't. You know, I don't know the, how can you. Yeah, I, I guess it's it's also like you got to take it in context too of where you're getting that information. Like, is that really what he feels? I don't know. It's it's hard to be. It's hard to do. I'll say this: it's really hard to be honest um, um, with that platform. Right. 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 Totally. But but you know, like, are you saying what is? Is, is is really what like, it's it's hard like that's what honestly the i think a lot of um what i really enjoy about what i'm doing now is like i don't have to put anything i don't have to paint any like um picture or cover anything and i can be so authentic and honest with what i'm doing and saying at all times that that is like a freedom that i really really love um, that's probably harder to do when you have that much exposure to what you're doing. All right, let me ask you. All right, so that okay, let's assume that that's what he's saying is true. I'm, you're right that he might he might you know in a private room say you know of course it affected me, but let this is something I think about all the time, right? With with guys like Schumacher or guys like Max, who you know from an outsider's perspective seem very intense, right? Who seem very locked in. Is it possible to be that successful, right? To be that high achieving? Guys like Jordan, right? 
and happy and balanced and and like be able to it's like mm. can you be the happy scott speed and 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 ju- and step on necks you know what i mean yeah, that, like you better you need be doing to. what you, you better be doing what you love because to do it at the kobe or michael level what that requires you better love it and so if you really love what you're doing then yeah you're going to be okay. happy because you you, you love it um, but that has to be uh, that you can't fake that, right? Um, because eventually you're going to run into a Kobe or a Michael in your field. Right. Good luck, right? Because right. that level of of energy in, that that's getting put in is 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 unbelievable. But we talk about balance, right? It's like Tom Brady. It's like he doesn't. It's like a. It's like a. It seems like an addict, right? right. He's just he keeps letting, retiring. He keeps and then retiring, like, and, and yeah. then he's losing <laughs> Giselle. He's like letting Giselle bunch and go, and it's like, what's going? You know, I don't know. It just seems like maybe this is too simplistic. It maybe seems too simplistic that it's like very hard to be great and happy. I mean, that's the 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 um. That just seems like these things are sort of at odd. I mean, that's why I feel like it seems like Max kind of wants to get out because to be great feels like it's kind of maybe consuming him a little bit. Like he's always right, talks about like, of it. I, 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 this isn't, you know, I can't do that. Like it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like he's having fun. Right. The way he's, yeah. cause yeah, he's always sure. like, I don't, I don't know Max really well. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Of course. No, no, let us speculate. Yeah, wildly. I get that. I get that. Yeah. I, get that. <laughs> I understand your position. Um, but yeah. All right. We'll let you, we'll let you go. Before we... <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think why, why Matt brings that up is that that's something that we've, we've discussed the psychological, like what it takes to be great and whether there's what sacrifices are made to, to, access those highest levels of achievement you know they talk about like senna was you know really miserable by the end because he was the burden of success that there's you know that that can like you know that can sour and that sometimes it feels like it's not necessarily just for the love of the game like that there's the ego is involved in like dominating and beating or, the or, shit out or, of or or let's let's bring up like who are the two the, the two best guys that do it in an at a, at, a, at uh, in their 40s right or or in their late 30s they don't have kids right they say that that kids adds like a tenth or two you know <laughs> right. do, do you feel well yeah um, i think in some ways because you know, I mean, for me, definitely, like my, um, I was more risk adverse after kids because right. my really? kids are the most important thing in my life. Easily, you know, without without question. As soon as those pup- puppies popped out, um, yeah, game changer, biggest life change for me. Um, and so, um, yeah, I can see that. You know, when you're no longer, or when you're even second guessing. I mean, for me, for, certainly, for example, like before kids, I maybe would have gone, um, you know, post NASCAR racing to to try IndyCar. But to post kids running an IndyCar and an oval, zero percent chance. Mm. Not even close. Never. Not even a consideration. Interesting. So yeah, yeah it changes something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we could talk for. Sorry, we'll look at you guys. We know, we, yeah. We're gonna let you go. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. This is the thing. This is the type of. This is the subject that is the the most interesting to Matt and I. I think you know. I think beforehand, 
that's what Drive to Survive kind of did was it put this psychological, micro, you know, magnifying glass, sometimes a little bit too much, so certain things look bigger than they are. But it's a, it's a TV <laughs> you know, show, man. But it's, it's a TV it, show. It's sh- cultivating. Sh- <laughs> no, no, no. Let but me I think enjoy it's an interesting. It. Like, we, what, you know, you watch the Max Verstappen talk. You know, you watch his own documentary. I mean, you're, and you're, you're hearing stories about his childhood, and you can do enough research. You understand like enough about like how he grew up and and kind of the the everything that was in place that made him into the dominant force that he is in formula one today and it's a fascinating there it's 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 deeply psychologically fascinating you know his dad being schumacher's number two not having a a a successful f1 career putting so much you know of of all that energy into max with all of his issues off the you know his personal issues the divorce all this kind of stuff max being kind of like bred for this thing it being fun it turning into like this job and all of that, you know, and, and turning, and, and Joss is still there every day. He's still at the track for every single race. You know, Lewis firing his dad. We just did like a deep dive on <laughs> Lewis. Like, you know, this it's it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's fascinating stuff. It's fascinating stuff. So I was the excited Oedip- that it's you were pretty, pretty. You know, the Oedipal, you know, with 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 uh, drivers and their dads is crazy. <laughs> But it seems like your dad, and, and we can, and we know we keep saying we're going to let you go. But it seems like your dad. <laughs> what I've heard is that he was not as like, you know, you got to perform. You know, he wasn't like down your throat, like you know, in terms of your production and all that, right? Um, no, I I was really fortunate. Um, I think that um, he was um, inherently really supportive in a good way. Um, like I always felt like, um, you know, they, my parents were, were proud of me no matter what. And anything I wanted to try or go, like I, I was, I felt supported. Um, and that, that's a, that was a really great feeling. Um, and, but yeah, look how I was as a human and, and, and my whole model of thinking was all from from my family and from my mostly my dad from being at the go-kart track watching him race and then racing ourselves you know together with my brother going to the races every weekend you know i developed so much of my um my my thought process from that which you know a lot of that was really good that got me really far Mm. (laughs) obviously yeah Um, so gosh uh, obviously a really lucky kid to to have had that um environment to grow up in well Amazing. This is becoming traumatic for you, so we're really sorry about that. <laughs> I love what, I love what you guys are what you guys are doing. I think it's oh, it's super cool. Um, thank you. Uh, it's uh yeah it's a, it's a unique one. I, I love the the really random, off the wall uh, thoughts and curiosities. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we that's that's what we do. Ran, off the wall thoughts and curiosities. That's, that's that could be a new red In flag. In my standpoint. mind, it doesn't seem it seems very focused and it all makes sense. So <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being yes. on the pod. Um, we end. We start. The, the, the pod by saying Vasa Vankas, which is a Gunter Steiner shout out from the first episode of Drive to Survive. So we end with a goodbye Vankas. Could you honor us with it as, as someone who is good friends with the man? You, you're, you live in the same neighborhood as the man. Could you offer us a, a goodbye Vankas? Uh, goodbye, Vankas. Yes. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, Vankas. Vankas. Uh, uh. <laughs>